Hello and welcome to another edition of Radius Conversations. I am your host, Brian Kirkland, and joining me in the studio today is the Honorable Todd Carnes. Todd, how you doing? Doing great. All right, so so here's what Todd and I are going to do. Uh, we're going to talk about sex, and we're going to do this over the course of, I don't know how many podcasts this is going to be. This could be a three-part series. This could be a four-part series. There's certainly plenty to talk about. Um, I would imagine... Uh, We're going to go in and out of talking through ideas, because after all, ideas have consequences. We're going to be talking about philosophy. We're going to talk about theology. And at the end of the day, uh, I'm sure there's going to be a ton of current events sprinkled in there, too. Uh, But for this particular podcast, uh, uh, what we want to do is just really provide a baseline. We want to provide a primer. So, so Todd, let me throw it over to you at this point. Uh, Why why this topic? Why sex? and, And why now? Great question. And uh, I mean, a big part of that is I have people six, eight, ten years after the fact come and talk to me about the sex ed series or the sex slave series, the, the things that we did, because the sexuality in our lives is so pervasive. Mm-hmm. It hits every area of life. And there's so much misinformation, disinformation, and outright deception out there that it's it's really, really destructive. Mm-hmm. And so... Over and over again, we have to come back to this and we have to clarify our position, articulate our position, and give people some some metrics and some markers from which to live life. Because yep. when, you're, when your sexuality gets out of whack, it drags everything down and it becomes very destructive. Yeah, yeah. Pastorally, you've sat with hundreds of people. I have to, uh, hundreds of, of couples you know, in the decades of pastoral ministry that we've got combined, almost always there's a sexual component. Almost always. You know, people are, you can come in and start talking about your vocation and eventually we talk about sex. That's right. Almost 100% because it's pervasive. Yeah. And if you look at our history as a church, what we don't want to do is we don't want to run from these topics because to Todd's point, he said earlier, look, look, society's talking about it. You are receiving a spiritual formation Every time you go to the mall, every time you watch TV, you're, uh, you're receiving a spiritual formation. And so we've got to be on the front lines of talking about this, and not just us talking about it, but also equipping our congregation to have words, to have language to use in their conversations uh, whenever they're at the ball field, whenever this comes up, you know, just talking to your neighbors and that sort of thing. So so, so why why this topic? Why now? It's a, it's a big deal, and we don't want to run from it. Yeah. Yeah, I look back and uh, I wrote one time, real is raw, like uh, the church cannot afford to dodge raw conversations yep. because they're happening everywhere. Yep, that's right. So tagline at Radius, and hopefully it's not just a tagline, it's real life, real faith, and so here we go. We're going to talk about sex for the, the, the next little bit, so pray for us, people uh, out there listening. So uh, I, I, and I think about why now, me and, me and Silas. We actually, Silas is my son, for those of you who don't know. He's 11. He's getting ready to turn 12. Uh, last week, he and I took a trip to Universal Studios. And part of the trip's to go and ride rides and have some guy time. But he also knew that we had a seven-hour ride down there and that part of this trip was going to be to talk about uh, uh, puberty and what uh, journey from boyhood to, to manhood looks like and all these sorts of things. So 
uh, again, we, we've got to keep talking about it. This has been fresh on my mind, especially after uh, having the conversation with Silas and trying to keep those communication lines open. And we uh, we laughed, and uh, some of it was awkward, but we pushed through it. And so we're going to push through this conversation now, and, and hopefully we're all going to learn a little something along the way. So, uh, so Todd, tell me this. Uh, the, what are the prevailing attitudes towards sex that, that you're seeing maybe that you've seen throughout the centuries or read about throughout the centuries, and what are you seeing right now? Yeah, great question. I I remember being in ancient Ephesus in modern-day Turkey and walking down a Roman road, and there in the concrete are some phallic symbols. And for people who don't know, phallic symbols are just pictures of genitalia, male and female. And it was kind of restored from the ancient ruins about how you walk into town, and there it is if you want to go if you want to go to have heterosexual sex with a prostitute, you turn right. If you want to have homosexual sex with someone, you turn left. It was just, we, we just turned ourselves into animals, into things to be used. And I remember seeing that probably 20 years ago and thinking, man, that is, that is far out. I mean, that is, that is really destructive mm-hmm. and not ever contemplating that, that the talk of sexuality and more importantly, the acts of sexuality would become that simple, that ubiquitous in society, that that's so carelessly involved in because, mm-hmm. again, I've seen the destruction. Yep. And so, but nevertheless, here we are. Yeah. And, and, we, and that was 2,000 years ago when, when these yeah. things were etched into stone. So the more things change, the more stunning things certainly stay the same. Absolutely. And so we, we find ourselves in this hyper-sexualized society. Mm-hmm. And the question is, is... How do we deal with it? Like, we can talk about how we got here, and certainly uh, we were discussing beforehand, it it started with us trying to divorce sex from procreation, which we did that successfully in the 60s, and and then in the 70s and 80s, we, more so maybe in the 90s, we divorced it from the whole idea of family and marriage, Mm -hmm. and then eventually in in recent days, we've kind of divorced it from actual physiology, biology, and, and the natural course. And so we, we keep trying to isolate it as this little play toy that we can just enjoy for a variety of reasons, but it refuses to comply. That's it, right. It's more complex. Yeah, and, and it is absolutely core to who we are. It's not a peripheral issue. Again, like we said at the beginning of this whole thing, uh, this comes up all the time, all the time. So it's not a peripheral issue. Uh, it is core to our humanity. So, uh, so one of the things is I was reflecting on, uh, I was thinking about my sex ed class in eighth grade with Mrs. Penrod's class, and, and we're talking through the biology of things, and, and, and the, the overarching sentiment as we were discussing sex in public school, and I don't know if you had, uh, if you had a, a similar sex ed experience, uh, for us it was, it was really, uh, I was taught in public school Sex was just like any sort of bodily activity. It was like eating. It was like sleeping. If, 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 you, if you need to do it, you do it. You just, you got to be careful in, in how you do it. And, and so you should do these things in moderation, just like you shouldn't eat too much, just like you shouldn't drink too much. Um, the, the whole point was this is a natural appetite, and you should fulfill those natural appetites. Uh, and, and so it was a lot of emphasis on the master of your domain in the sexual realm. 
And that was what I learned in public school uh, about it. Did, did you have any public school? <laughs> yeah. there's, there's, there's a lot more uh, I learned yeah. on the playgrounds. That was what I learned in the yeah, classroom. Yeah, yeah. My sex school. ed was yeah. uh, sixth grade PE. That's okay. where. <laughs> so you pick up what you can there. And, yep. And yeah, that, but it is pretty phenomenal. I mean, that's in Lugolf, South Carolina. Can you imagine what that looks like in, you know, inner city Atlanta right. or other arenas? That's and, right. And it's almost, I mean, if it wasn't so tragic, it would be comical mm-hmm. for people to speak of sex like some kind of simple physical act, like eating something very natural and not intensely emotional, spiritual, and, and connected in a variety of ways. Like, mm-hmm. how, can you, how can you be that naive? Right. Um, nobody... You know, nobody eats too much and, and weeps over it for days. Like it's just, but that's that's part of our society trying to trivialize something that is intensely complex and spiritual, mm-hmm. and really to our own detriment. I remember saying mm-hmm. from the pulpit one time that you know guys can sit around and they can laugh about everybody getting too drunk one time and somebody doing something stupid twenty years ago, and you know and everybody can laugh about you know, some kind of fight we got into, some kind of violence, and, you know, everybody got stitched up, and, you know, some of the foolish, sinful things in our past. Yep. Well, nobody laughs about the sexual sins of the past. That's they're, right. they're not funny. They're too intensely painful to talk about in that realm. Mm-hmm. They're different. They're it's not different. physical. That's right. Yeah, it, it's different. And then, uh, the, again, that was the that was the... The, the classroom experience I had with sex ed, the uh, I guess the non-classroom experience I had uh, is, is going to be way more along the lines of just the things I've learned from music videos or, uh, or, or movies or TV or magazines, and that's the idea. Uh, you can frame it up in, in a romantic sense in, in that humans in their original state uh, uh, are good and that they just need to be freed. <laughs> they just need to be cut loose from all the repression that society puts on them, all this whole sexual revolution kind of talk. And that uh, once we actually uh, free ourselves to be creative in this arena, then we can actually find ourselves and become ourselves almost. Uh, and you take it to an extreme and you can uh, accomplish this higher level of consciousness. So those are things that the sexual revolution tended to teach us. So, right. uh, so I think about, I don't know whether it's Lady Gaga or, or whoever, whoever you uh, you're out there. So, uh, any uh, what what are you seeing out there these days? Whenever you think about be yourself, find yourself, sexual revolution. Oh, it's just a uh, it's just a continual race to the bottom. It, it is similar to food in one sense. Like yep. if all you eat is Twinkies and you sit around and eat Twinkies for three days, you're going to throw up eating Twinkies because all of a sudden they don't taste good. Mm-hmm. And when you treat sexuality like Twinkies and you feast on it without any regard for what it's truly supposed to be, the whole thing totally falls apart and the functionality of it falls apart and you can't you can't even function in that realm because you the truth will refuses to be buried and when you try to treat it like something it's not, it's just it totally begins to wreck your life going mm-hmm. back to just talking to people about about their lives and some of the pain and chaos in their lives and a lot of it goes back to this because not only not only is it this holy spiritual thing and in addition to the the physical side but i was thinking about it it's also 
it's also the thing that's maybe most closely aligned with our ego. Mm-hmm. It's very much a power structure. So much of sex is power. Yep. When it's outside of marriage, it's about conquering. It's about manipulating, and mm-hmm. and it's about identity and who we are. When you when you treat it, when you try to take this, you know this flamethrower and make it a match and play with it like it just refuses to be a match it's still a flamethrower and a bunch of people are going to get burned hmm. that's good the um uh, the, you know we've talked about sex as kind of this natural appetite uh, and that's one way to look at it we talked about sex as sort of this higher level of consciousness and uh, and we just can't repress our creativity uh, in fact we're going to use this to find ourselves uh, uh, another way that, that, that we'll approach it, another attitude that a lot of times, and particularly people in the church, will, will tend to approach sex is, is, is this sort of necessary evil. So, so I'm curious, uh, in, your, in your church experiences growing up, did, did, you, did you hear the church talk much about sex? And if so, how did they talk about it? Yeah, well, you know, in my experience, I didn't really go to church as a young man, so I didn't, I don't remember being taught anything about sex other than what I got on HBO. Okay. When uh, when my parents went to bed as, you know, as a elementary school or middle school, then HBO taught me a lot about that. And then you just pick it up. So I have heard, though, that there there is a false message sometimes about it, you know, kind of being this, maybe not a dirty thing, but just so kind of untouchable. Mm-hmm. And, and that's... You know, the way I always do this is when we do premaritals with couples, when we talk about sex at, at the very end, I always tell them, now you guys are going to go on your honeymoon next week. You're going to have the worst sex of your life <laughs> because, <laughs> because you're just becoming one. Like this thing is very physical mm-hmm. week one. Yep. But if your marriage is good, mm-hmm. this this thing called sex that you have with your spouse is going to be a thousand times greater at ten years and ten thousand times greater at thirty years because it is it's not just a physical act it is this oneness that mm-hmm. that pulls you together in a way that nothing else can mm-hmm. and so people that people that have only experienced casual sex people that have only experienced perverted sex people that only experienced manipulated sex like they they have never experienced 20-year marital sex. Mm-hmm. And those things are not like apples and oranges. They're like apples and orca whales. They, they're in totally different categories. Yep. Because one is this animalistic physical act. This other one is this spiritual, emotional bonding of two people at the deepest level. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes me mad is you have either deceived, ignorant, or evil people that that are giving our kids a false message. Mm-hmm. And our sex is better than, than all the perverted stuff on the Internet because the Internet cannot display what it's like to have a sexual relationship with somebody that you've known and trusted for 20 years. They, they only know new and novel and somewhat perverted. Yeah. Okay. So, so let's do this just to sum up, just to sum up kind of where we've been uh, at this point, we've talked about some of the prevailing worldviews that we've seen out there 
but what you're touching on is a good time to, to transition to what does the Bible actually say about sex? And, and so you use this word oneness. So to sum up uh, a lot of what society is throwing at us right now, uh, some of it's just what you'd get in sex ed, heavy on the biological drive, and just don't, you know, uh, do do it. Just don't don't be too crazy about it and use protection when you can and that sort of thing. Uh, some t- some folks, are, and in fact, a lot of people are, are going to push uh, this idea, this overly romanticized view that really turns into sexual revolution that you're going to find your higher level of consciousness. And, uh, and, and really, you're going to create, at this point, you're even going to create your own identity through, uh, through finding yourself and discovering yourself in the sexual realm. And then uh, the, 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 the other way that, that we will tend to look at it and this was something that, uh, again, you, you didn't grow up in the church, so you didn't really uh, hear a message of sex is dirty, sex is bad. Uh, I, I didn't hear that. Uh, credit to my church growing up, I actually didn't hear that either. But uh, talking to many Christians across the board, that is something that, that, that's a message that was pretty pervasive. And if you look at the history of, of the church, we, you certainly see that you had guys like uh, Origen, who was an early church father who actually cra- castrated himself uh, because, uh, again, he, he, in his mind, body bad, soul good. Right. Uh, this, this comes from Plato. This is, so this, is not, uh, this wasn't church thought. This was actually Plato. This is Hellenistic thought. Uh, body bad, soul good, body lesser, soul higher, and that uh, anything that had to do with the body was going to be dirty. It was going to be degrading, but it was a necessary evil because you had to procreate. You got to right. propagate the species, uh, but Plato said eh, it's just a necessary evil, and that found its way into church history. You see a lot of that in the monastics, mm-hmm. and, and you know you end up with all these monasteries and what's the, what's the word for nunneries? Nunneries is that what it is? Uh, convent. Convent. There you go. There you go. So you end up uh, with a, a lot of folks repressing their sexual desires uh, because they feel like that's the that's the, the, the holiest thing to do and the, the highest calling they can do. And in some ways it is. In, in certain respects, there's, uh, I certainly want to honor chastity and things like that. But whenever it's motivated out of a sense that the body is bad and the soul is good, then we're in real trouble because God made the body just like he made the soul. So uh, so those are, I don't know, those are, those are, those are kind of the, the prevailing thoughts out there. Uh, Todd, you got anything as we wrap that up before we move on to uh, over and against all that, what is the biblical worldview? Yeah, and the biblical worldview is is very simple. I mean, God made Eve for Adam, and it says they were naked and they felt no shame. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite scriptures in the entire Bible. <laughs> I use it every <laughs> wedding, and then I, I give like a dramatic mm-hmm. pause and go, mm-hmm. "Y'all are really nervous right now because y'all mm-hmm. have no idea what I'm going to say after this." Mm-hmm. But but most yeah. everybody understands, at least the people who are married, that they, they understand what it. it's yeah. like to be naked and have some shame mm-hmm. in front of your spouse and what it's like over time to become more and more shameless because mm-hmm. you're more and more protected. So you have more and more freedom. So so you're experiencing this thing at a deeper and deeper level. And so, I mean, God called his shot right there in Genesis 3. Uh, and so from the biblical side of things, it is procreation for mm-hmm. sure. But yep. it is so much more than procreation. It is the ability to glue yourself, the you know, to cleave unto your wife, to be joined in a very unique way. And, mm-hmm. and only in the last what twenty years we we start figuring out some of the chemical boundaries of that. And uh, 
a, uh, an endorphin called oxytocin that, that when a, a lady has a sexual experience, her, her brain's flooded with oxytocin, and so she bonds with this individual in a unique way at a molecular level in the brain because it's about procreation. And so th- there's that side of it, but more so than that side, there, there is just this beautiful biblical picture of the normal state of affairs is not chastity. It can happen that people can be called to it, but the normal state of affairs is for a man to marry a woman mm-hmm. and for them to experience a level of oneness and intimacy that is unparalleled and unmatched. And mm-hmm. and it's not always uncomplicated, but it it is some of the glue that holds us together. And you were mentioning some of the other church leaders who got it wrong. And one thing I always tell people is like false leaders, uh, heretics, people that are leading false movements, they can never get their sexuality right. I mean, they always miss it. I mean, generally miss it on money because they're, they're taking money, but more so to manage your sexuality and keep it in the right stream to keep it between a husband and wife. It almost never happens. If you look at the the big time cult leaders, they they drift off into all types of perversion, whether mm-hmm. it be homosexual acts or multiple wives or total chastity. Like they they can't keep that right, mm-hmm. and it's because they they have so much wrong with their theology, they can't manage that most powerful drive of our life. And mm-hmm. you mentioned it earlier, you know Maslow's hierarchy. You know if we get shelter and food, then our sex drive begins to take over, and we're you know, it's kind of an animalistic thought as though we're passively subject to that and, and that's a destructive thing for our children. And that's, you know, there, there's some reality there about how strong the sex drive is, but there's some false teaching there about how weak we are to channel it in mm-hmm. the right direction because, right. you know, once that, you know, if you tell everybody they're animals, pretty soon they act like animals and, and animals, you know, are not really emotionally healthy. <laughs> animals they they wound each other they they fight you know and so we have mastery over that because we're we're not animals we're spiritual beings yeah okay so so procreation uh, certainly certainly part of the the design right uh, that's a, a and 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 you mentioned earlier in this podcast that was you know, you know with the with the proliferation of birth control then uh, that began to, to to be society tried to remove procreation from one of the purposes right. uh, of of sex. Um, I, I think about when I think about the biblical piece of procreation, I, I immediately go to the scriptures and and you read over and over again: be fruitful and multiply, be fruitful and multiply, be fruitful and multiply. This is something we can learn from our Catholic friends, right? Who have thought really well uh, in this in this particular domain. Uh, about sexual ethics whenever it comes to reproduction, this idea of creating uh, not not just uh, not just propagation of the species, but be fruitful and multiply uh, for the purpose of the kingdom to create families of disciples. Uh, that, that's, that's the yes, we are we are propagating the species, but over, way over that is this idea of uh, we are bringing children into a covenant context where they are learning uh, about the Lord and. Uh, are learning uh, about his statutes and, uh, and and ultimately are going to entrust these wise things and following Jesus to their kids and to their kids and to their kids. So when I think about procreation, uh, I, 
I, I want us to, to, to recognize. It's a big deal. So it, it's certainly not the only part of, of sex and why God made it, because after all, uh, that's you, there's only limited windows of when you can procreate. There's certain right. times of the month when you can procreate, and then uh, for that matter, uh, after after menopause, then then, then that, that window is is done. So it, it certainly is not the only reason that, that you have sex, but it's a big one. Mm-hmm. It's an important one, so I don't want to minimize that. So procreation is a big deal. Let's talk about let's let's talk a little bit more about oneness. Uh, you 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 mentioned this idea of oneness, about intimacy and communion, and this closeness that that comes from saying I am completely committed and aligned with you for the rest of my life. So, um, uh, I guess uh, talk through how many years you've been married. Twenty-seven. Twenty-seven years. Okay, so 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 you you've you've talked about this a little bit, but uh, but 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 go. And, I don't want tons of details, but but talk me through the, the the oneness aspect with you and Carrie, and how you how you guys have seen that grow over the course of decades. Yeah, certainly. I, I, again, our society, when you try to separate sex from oneness, I mean, you might as well try to run through a brick wall. You're just going to bounce off. It, mm-hmm. it refuses to comply with our trivial ideas about it being physical. It is so intensely unifying and bonding mm-hmm. uh, at a molecular level, emotional, spiritual, in every realm. I, I remember I had a guy who taught me some of this. He was much better than sixth grade guys who taught me the garbage (laughs) when I was growing up. And I had an older man teach me some things when I came to faith in college about uh, what it means to... He he had this saying, he said, when you get married, you're going to go into your bedroom, you're going to shut that door, and you're going to turn off that light. And he goes, it doesn't matter what kind of abs you got at that point. This is not a physical scenario. Mm-hmm. This is a spiritual thing. And and the only thing you will see is the memory of that person's soul because you're in the dark. Mm-hmm. And he said, sin is ugly in the dark. Mm-hmm. It was a great, great wow. saying. Yeah. But by the same token, you know, oneness and humility and giving of oneself and commitment is absolutely exhilarating mm-hmm. in the dark. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're beyond the physical realm. We are in this emotional, spiritual realm where you are, it is two souls making love to each other. It is not two animals feasting off each other in a physical act. And, and that's the reason I say that, that you know, Sex outside of marriage is categorically different than it is inside. And so with this commitment, yeah, you, you start off, you have a starting place, which, uh, which I alluded to earlier, which is kind of fun. And then out, inside of that starting place, as you build trust and as you build safety and as you build time and proof in the pudding and commitment, the level of oneness increases dramatically. And does so throughout life. And so there, there are times in your marital life when, when life is really, really hard. Mm-hmm. And when it's sometimes at its hardest, when you have the ability to go into a room and turn off a light and be fully known and fully accepted and be fully one with another 
that that can be the most joyful and therapeutic thing in the world. Yeah, and I would even argue it's a, it's a taste of heaven. Yeah. Uh, because whenever you read the Song of Solomon, there's a ton of of garden motif. Uh, it's designed... Uh, the Song of Solomon, by the way, is Hebrew love poetry, uh, and and you see this couple, uh, and they, they make love a few times in, in between chapters 1 and chapter 8, and it is it is full of of, of naked and unashamed because they are fully uh, fully known and fully loved and, uh, and and it's designed to take the ancient reader to the Garden of Eden uh, of whenever we were naked and whenever we were unashamed. And so that's why uh, the, this oneness that, that Todd's been talking about, this oneness that only comes through commitment, uh, that, that only comes from a biblical covenant that says, I am fully committed to you till death do us part, uh, because life's going to be hard, and, uh, and we don't know what's going to come our way. Uh, and I could, I could have married somebody else, and Tricia, for that matter, could have married, uh, she could have married somebody taller, more handsome. Uh, uh, not nearly as smart. Not, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yep, smarter, all, you, you name it. Uh, she, she had her pick of, of lots of other guys, but she made a commitment to me, and I, I take immense security in that. And so this idea of, of being fully known, of, uh, of complete trust, uh, and, and where I know that I can trust her and that she hears me, uh, then that's the basis of something really beautiful. And so just raw emotions isn't going to cut it. It's not going to hold the day. No, and even at a deeper level, I mentioned earlier, so much of sex really is about ego, mm-hmm. and it can really be about power. There's nothing wrong with it being about ego, but... When it's perverted out out there, it becomes about power. It's about guys conquering ladies, or, or ladies even conquering guys. It's about you know, can I can I manipulate them into wanting me? Because if I can manipulate them into giving me themselves in the sexual realm, then I've I feel like I've conquered them in some sense, and I'm mm-hmm. just kind of stroking my ego. And you know, there's all notches in the belt and all that foolish talk that happens. That's the perversion of it. But the the beautiful true side of it is there is this ego-boosting thing about being fully desired by another person. Mm-hmm. Not just desired to live with, not just desired to raise kids with, but be desired in the sexual realm. Mm-hmm. And so going back to the marriage and the covenant deal, when when a, a wife desires a husband, a husband desires a wife, when that's communicated and it's held, there is a there's a, a self-identity and a building of that person's confidence that is significant, and it will it will pull you out of a ditch. Mm-hmm. And, and on the other side, when we do all this counseling, a lot of times people begin to run off in the ditch because their ego is totally beat down one way or the other because it is constantly communicated to them that you are not desirable. And a man or a lady who gets that communication from their husband or wife over months or years or sometimes decades, I mean, it destroys them. The yeah. ego can't handle it. That's and right. And so, so they'll, they'll go find it elsewhere absolutely. or just or just completely repress that, that, that part of who they are, which, again, is a core part of who they are. Lose all confidence yep. and life begins to spiral. Yep. No, that's, that's good. The um, uh, Staying with the idea of oneness, uh, I, uh, we keep coming back to this word commitment. And uh, it's, you know, intimacy and commitment. They, they, they go together like ham and cheese, like... Um, 
like uh, Hall & Oates, like uh, whoever, you, you, you name it. Intimacy and commitment, uh, these things go together. And, and when you read the scriptures, uh, the Bible is full of these types of, of covenants because, uh, because whenever Jesus uh, makes a commitment to us, whenever God makes a, makes a commitment to us, uh, there, there's a covenant that, that, that is attached to it because uh, the Lord knows that uh, a simple, simple emotions aren't going to hold the day. So whenever couples come to me and they're like, well, we're committed to each other, why, why do we need to get married? Uh, I, I always tell them, well, look, that, that is going to wane eventually. Uh, that, 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 that overly romanticized view of, of, of these emotions and these feelings that, that, that's going to sustain you for a little bit, but that's going to that's going to lose out at some point, and you're going to go need to find it somewhere else. Uh, but uh, whenever there is a commitment in place, and and again, biblically speaking, uh, the, a, a commitment that the Lord's made to us, you, you think about the, the new covenant, right? And and you think about uh, the Jesus and the, the commitment that God. Uh, laid his son's life down on our behalf so that we could be united with him. Uh, is, is an incredible commitment, right? Uh, well, you think about the commitment of baptism, uh, this idea that you stand in front of a congregation and you have this ceremony and you pledge your allegiance fully to Jesus Christ. And then you renew that kind of covenant that, that you made in your baptism by taking the Lord's Supper. Uh, so, so all throughout Scripture, you have this pattern of covenant setting and covenant renewal. And uh, in, in the sexual realm, you have a marriage. This is why you have marriage ceremonies and why I always encourage couples, hey, don't just run off and do this justice of the peace thing. It's way bigger deal than this. It, uh, bring your families in. Uh, this is a, uh, a full-on commitment, death do us part, and it's a bigger deal than you realize. And, and then you're going to have this covenant initiation ceremony, and then you're going to go on your honeymoon, and you're going to make love to your wife, and you're going, to, you're going to renew that covenant. And every time you make love to your wife, you're renewing that oneness commitment. So um, what do you – uh, switching gears a little bit, this really is just kind of a third uh, aspect of, of, of sex. We, we talked about procreation. We talked about oneness. What about, what about more the recreational aspects? What about the, I guess, the enjoying sex? You know, we've, we've certainly talked about it in, a, in, in kind of the spiritual realm and this oneness realm and the, the procreation realm. What about just enjoying sex? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and before we jump there to your point, I, I use the more redneck version of what you talked about, commitment. I, when I sit down with couples, I just say, if the back door, if you leave a crack in it, you're leaving. I don't know if you're leaving in a year, five mm-hmm. years, 10 years, but you shut the door and you hammer it shut with a, a vow, mm-hmm. because if you leave it open mentally, you're leaving. Um, but on the recreational side, which is really fun to talk about, <laughs> which I always remember you talk about somebody who uh, set up like a, a sex retreat for for him and his wife, and mm-hmm. and just just to focus on on that side of their. Uh, yeah, their relationship. That's right. I was like, that dude should write a book. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, anyway, yeah. I, I think the yeah, certainly it is. Um, it, it's it's got to be, you know, it, it's not this this holy spiritualized thing that it, that is not full of fun and excitement and joy and and all those things. And it's um, certainly like you talked about. I mean, it's it's much more than procreation. It's it's recreational in that sense, which is, 
again, like you can see the the purpose of it and you see the perversion of it, like all the craziness that's uh, that's there in internet pornography. Uh, they're trying to make this unfettered, totally free, perverse sex fun. Mm-hmm. Well, they can't do it. Just ask the people who make the pornography. It's not fun. It is work. It's laborious. It's difficult. It's... It's demeaning. It's, yeah, they have to come up with all these crazy manipulative things trying to make it fun. Well, if you guys want to make sex fun, I get married to somebody for 10 years. And <laughs> after 10 years, when you are both so comfortable, mm-hmm. naked and unashamed in your bedroom with the lights off, you don't have to come up with all kinds of clever, crazy things to make this thing fun because by its very nature, it is exhilarating. It is uh, uplifting. It is ego boosting for both in, in the positive sense of the term, like self-esteem boosting. And and we should never shy away from that. We just we just have to stay on message. That's we, right. we have to go, why, I mean, why you guys want to eat McDonald's hamburgers when I'm trying to feed you Ruth Chris steak? But but Ruth Chris steak, I mean, you got to get dressed up for it. You got to you got to pay a lot more for it. You got to go downtown. I mean, you can't just drive through and get it. If you if you just want to eat the hamburgers all the time, drive through and get it. But the thing that that God is trying to provide in marital committed sex is a thousand times more joyful than what everybody's trying to create because they they can create these things that are perverted and to the untrained and unexperienced mind seem like they could be joyful. But at the end of the day, they are deflating and demeaning. Mm-hmm. It, you, but you can have, you know, you, you're experiencing the same physical joy, but instead of demeaning you or instead of emptying you or instead of causing jealousy or instead of causing, you know, all these negative emotions in the marital bed, when when the marital act is over, there's esteem and there's confidence and there's joy and satisfaction. I used to say all the time, you know, I mean, let's face it, the vast majority of everybody's first sexual experience, and a lot of times for, for a lot of people, it's the first hundred. Uh, for most of us, quite frankly, it's it, it's all these negative things that we're talking about, mm-hmm. uh, and we, we we do that to our own detriment. But but I used to always say, you know, you when you have sex with someone, they're either going to get up, put their pants on, and leave, or they're going to roll over and hold you gently and remind you that they're committed to you. Mm-hmm. It's one or the other. Yep. And those are radically different things. And only in commitment do you get the latter. Mm-hmm. But the noise of the world is is so loud and so deceptive, just like in so many other realms, in, in the realm of of self-medication with all the drugs that are, that are coming out and legalization of a lot of them and that there's just a lot of noise out there and so we yeah. have to make our voice heard we, we've got a much better product that's right yeah and, and, and the reality is and it only makes sense that our product is better because uh, God created sex right and he did so uh, because uh, he wanted to give us a good gift this is what our, our creator does is he he gives us good gifts every good and perfect gift is from above and so sex is one of those good gifts that in its right context uh, is is a beautiful thing that can can give you uh, as close of a taste of heaven as we'll as we'll have this side of eternity 
Yeah, and, I'd call it the best, not one of the best. There you go. There you go. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's definitely so, a good one. So uh, families of disciples, procreation, uh, not just procreation, but recreation. That right. that, that we're not just a husk uh, uh, over our soul, but uh, God cares about our bodies too, and, and He gives us good gifts. So our body isn't just bad. You know, the Lord made it, and and so it's a gift to enjoy. And then, as, as Todd mentioned, and, and I mentioned a little bit, this idea of oneness is the biggest of deals. So, uh, again, we, we have a creator who, who made sex, uh, who is for us, who wants us to enjoy this gift. We have an enemy who hates sex and hates us, and he's going to take it and he's going to twist it. And, and it, just get, it gets twisted in the worst of ways, whether it's sexual revolution, whether it's just uh, the, the natural appetite discussions that, that happen in, in public school sex ed, or, or whether it's the, maybe even it's even the church twisting it to say it's just some sort of necessary evil. But over the next couple of podcasts, we're going to dive in a little bit deeper and, and, and walk you through just some of the ways that the enemy's trying to twist it, some of the current events, things that, that we're seeing out there, and... Uh, what it looks like for us to address those in biblical winsome ways. So, Todd, uh, any closing thoughts before we wrap it up? Yeah, I just want to jump in and say this thing is incredibly complex. We're, we're talking about it in a 30-minute window and and trying to put some definition to it, but we do not want to give simple answers to very complex issues in the lives of people. So we certainly want to acknowledge that that this thing is broken in all of us to some degree, mm-hmm. and we're all striving to bring healing in this to some degree, and so it's incredibly complex. And when there's pain there, certainly want to give a lot of hope. Uh, want everybody looking forward and driving towards the things we're talking about, regardless of what's in the past, because there's been so much deception that there's been a lot of damage and. And it's difficult, mm-hmm. but there's there's a lot of hope. The vast majority of people who are enjoying naked, unashamed, oneness sex got there not in a perfect path. They got there in a very imperfect path, stepping in a lot of potholes, but found the true path and got there and everybody can get there. It's great. It's great. Good way to wrap it up. So... Keep tuning in. Again, uh, we, we love you guys. We're for you guys. Me and Todd will continue the conversation a little later. Until then, this has been Radius Conversations. 